there are so many people with stories similar to yours that has not shared, you know, and, and very often these stories are an inspiration to, to the next generation too, right? right you know, yeah. so that that is that is also important. So, be, so besides being selfish, where we tell these stories for our own benefit, where people could reach out to us, you know, so think so that we can increase our values. Also, so important to share these stories so that others could just because you know. A lot of young people are not looking at the, at the right places for inspiration and for direction and that sort of thing. So I think sometimes it's so important for, for all of us, you know, just for them to see that path because sometimes they see where you are now, but they don't know where you came from or all these struggles, you know, you went through to get there. Yeah. You know, a lot of young people just see the glamour. See the glamour yeah. and they want to get there now. No, and that's part of our problem, the problem we're going through right now. Podcast World. Welcome to another episode of The Value, the language of business for those of you seeking to build companies that are scalable and highly valuable. I'm your host, Kevin Valley, and joining me today is my co-host, Jason Valley, serial entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience operating at the intersection of technology and business analytics. Jason, how are you doing, sir? I am good. How are you doing, Kevin? I cool, you know, I cool, I cool, I cool. You know, I just put on the purple light because our guest has a purple light today and I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to be cool like her. I wanted to be cool like Samantha. Best mother, wife, author, consultant and insurance agent and well-known media personality, a very busy lady. She's the author of the Balance Block Method, a guide to improving time management and productivity. And right now she is focused on helping professionals to work smart and make more money. Because who doesn't want to make more money? Make more money while working smart. Samantha, how are you doing this evening? I am great. Thank you for having me here, guys. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have you. You know, actually, you know, it's funny because after our last after our last interview, Jason and I were talking about okay, who you want to have next? And Jason's like, Oh, how about Samantha John? I was like, Who's Samantha John? He's like, Oh, well, probably Samantha Best. You might know her Samantha Best. Okay. And then, like an hour or so later, Samantha messages me on LinkedIn and says, hey, Kevin, congratulations on your work anniversary because I have so many, I have so many roles. I don't know which anniversary she's talking about. But I was like, <laughs> right. okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> How are you, Samantha? How about you? Do you want to do a podcast? She's like, okay, let's go. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. All right. So Samantha, you, you spent over 12 years in media, right? Over 22 years. Over 22 years, right? <laughs> Yeah. And I thought you were 22 years old. All right. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you spent over 22 years in the media, but there's not much information in the public domain about your life before that. But of course, I'll find what was your life before that, right? Mm. I understand that before that, your family, well, you come from a family of, of business owners, of entrepreneurs. Can you give us a little background there? My father's family owned um, an insurance company. It's called Moto in general. So, you know, the discussion in the household was always about one day you'll work in the office um, at the company. And that was just like did not sound pleasing to me at all. So I think I always had like a marker that I did not want to do it uh, because of the the company. We lived in Barbados for a few years um, and Jamaica. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we came back to Trinidad, maybe when I was about eight or seven or something like that. Schooled in Trinidad, um, uh, 
Um, we lived uh, in the west of the country and still, you know, they will discuss um, working in the company when you get older. And I would come up with like dramatic alternatives that I wanted to do. So I used to find that saying a marine biologist sounded really fancy. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be a marine biologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, then at one point in time, we had um, troublesome cars. So I was like, oh, my gosh, no, no, no. I'm going to be a mechanic, you know, so I could always have a car that's working. And my father would make a joke about, no, not with those long nails. You can't be a mechanic. <laughs> like, you know, he always had like, give me like an obstacle of why I couldn't do it. I never really focused definitely to say this is what I was going to grow up to be about that time when I was getting ready to get into the workforce. And uh, I was in St. Vincent at that point in time. And I came back and the family had discussions about me opening a branch for the company there. And I had started to take insurance courses. I worked locally in the company for about a year or two in underwriting and in the claims department, um, which was unusual. And they found I did good in claims because I had a good relationship with the customers. Um, You know, we had like the plexiglass between us because customers could get really agitated when they come to make their claims. And uh, yeah, it wasn't always like, you know, a nice experience, but I actually had a very good experience in the claims department. Um, I also worked independently with my father, um, servicing one of the branches in the Diego Martin area. So I did that for a while. But I was always thinking that I wanted to do something in media. So while I was in St. Vincent, um, because of my Trinidad accent, apparently I spoke a little clearer. They considered me speaking clearer than some of the others, um, the locals. And uh, this is when the internet was like now sparking. So there was a particular time they wanted to introduce gambling online um, in the UK. And because of the laws, they were unable to do it. So they had a company and some entrepreneurs. They set up uh, an online, um, almost like um, it was roulette, game um, broadcasting from St. Vincent. And I was one of the persons that they hired. So I was this online croupier spinning the ball, calling out the numbers. And with that, they gave us voice training with an American girl, which was interesting. And she made a comment that I was the clearest speaker, um, most well-spoken. So it kind of sparked something in my mind about doing something with my voice. And while I was there, they only have one TV station with like a 10-minute newscast at that time in St. Vincent. Mm-hmm. And um, the people I was staying by were saying, you know, you could actually present our newscast here, uh, maybe be on TV and stuff like that. So I was like, you know, that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. Um, that was also something that maybe sparked a little bit of interest about broadcasting with me. But I'm thinking it was like a, a hidden thing about the broadcasting. Um, because it just like it was like just there, like in the background subconsciously. So I came back to Trinidad actually taking those comments into consideration and started to pursue how do I get into broadcasting. So at the time in Trinidad, the only thing that was available were there were some short courses. Um, People did broadcasting short courses. So I enrolled in one. Um, It was like a three-month course, maybe once for the week. And I would say it was an enlightening experience because 
when I finally did get into broadcasting, I realized it prepared me notch <laughs> for what was required to be a broadcaster. Um, See, a media experience, the, the technical thing from the course is just, is just what, icing? What would you say? Uh, well, that, I would say that particular course was very more motivational. So it was more of a course that if you were thinking about getting into media and, you know, and you had no idea what to do, or maybe you felt you lacked confidence, or you went like 100% there, that was the place to get amped up. Um, it did not for me, because I was already amped up. So it did not provide for me all the technical skills. Um, it didn't describe for me anything about the business, um, really what is required, like your working hours or what your pay would be like. Um, everything I discovered when I finally got into broadcasting over the years. And you didn't get all that information at once. It kind of was fed to you like with enough curiosity. Um, but the interesting thing was that when I did say I was doing the course and then I started to apply for jobs. It took me like two years of sending out demos to local radio stations. So you would like do your demo on a cassette, which we paid additionally for at the course. And uh, um, you sent it out and you got, sometimes you got no response like at all. And then there were the instances where somebody will mail back the cassette to you and say, thank you for applying. So I don't know which one was worse, not getting any response or getting the rejection with thank you for applying. Here's a cassette, you can have it back. <laughs> Take back right? your cassette. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it was like, I couldn't figure out, you know, which was a good one, which was a bad one. So I did that for a while and I went to many auditions. Um, I think I went at the time it was Trinidad Broadcasting company and those would be the radio stations at GML which is GML now Guardian Media and uh, I went a couple times they give you a scriptory they put you in a room operator records your voice and I think by the second or third audition I got noticed by someone who did the recording um, he was a chief engineer at the time and he had lost his daughter like a, like a year or two before. And he kind of got drawn to me because he said I reminded him of her. But he also thought that he found I had good potential. And he kind of gave me some hope. And whenever there were, he didn't give me any constructive criticism because I wasn't his department. But he kind of let me know this is how you get your foot in the door. Um, that the procedure is, if you pass the audition, we're going to put you on this kind of freelance rotation roster. When we call you, um, once you could come in, you'll get paid. This is how you'll start. This might be once for the month, once every two months. But he was like, take the opportunity. And then from there, you see where you can move next. And that was like invaluable information because I had no idea what, even if I got like the next call after the audition, what was going to happen what will take place. So because of that, I probably did a couple more auditions before they called in like 20 people and said, okay, we're putting all of you on this freelance rotation for Radio Trinidad. This is Radio 7.30 a.m. And uh, when we call you, um, um, hopefully you'll come to work. So we have no idea what time the shifts are going to be. Uh, we don't know when they're going to call. They just have your contact info. And I don't even think People had, I didn't have a cell phone yet, basically. People didn't have cell phones. 
So hopefully you're just sitting by the phone waiting mm. to get this call or this opportunity because it's still an opportunity. There's no contract with you with the radio station. There's no documentation. It's just going to be a phone call and you, you'll get to work. So like out of those 20 people, maybe like three or four of us got calls and were able to come to work because people had jobs. Um, I was not working at the time. I had a young, um, a young baby at the time. So I was, I was home. So I was near the phone and they would call. And as you became more dependable, or I used to call myself the emergency girl, you became more dependable. You probably might get a call 10 minutes before shift starts or 15 minutes that the announcer can't come to work. Can you come? And I would always say yes. <laughs> but how do you, but how does, how does that logistics work? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, what time of the day was that also? Well, I used to get, there used to be a four o'clock shift, like an afternoon shift that the, that particular presenter would um, call in for and say he couldn't come to work. So because of that particular shift, um, after a while, like, I think that was like, yeah, that was probably the only shift actually, and maybe on a Saturday, he used to call in for work quite often. Um, every now and then so I kind of always knew it would have been that shift um, because I had a baby I did I mean graveyard is almost like um, initiation for radio presenters but because I had a baby I stated up front that I couldn't come because I had a young baby so I wouldn't be able to do a graveyard uh, the shifts were like six hours long so it's not like today they were like six no, hour long shifts three hours maybe four right but there was six hours sometimes seven on the weekend basically <laughs> And when you came, that's when you learned to use the studio. So what happened? They had these paid programs with um, um, different organizations and, and churches would come in. And normally somebody from the church would operate the board. And you were kind of just observing, making sure that they did everything right. So they kind of taught me and I kind of taught them. And for a while, the announcer on duty would be there and they would kind of teach you how to operate and use the studio because we had a lot of equipment back then. We didn't have the computers, so we still had vinyl records, um, A-track machines for commercials and for the news, huge board. We had a DAT machine, cassette recorders. So it was like a, like a whole army of equipment. You said so much in that short piece of time. One... AM radio, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, you ever listen to AM radio? Uh, by mistake, once. I think I was <laughs> looking for a station. I was like, what's this noise? <laughs> That's one. Two, I think I do remember back in the days when, yeah, the churches would have a program. The church would have an hour. So therefore, you weren't a presenter. You were also like a supervisor. Like, what, what was your role? Because you wasn't a presenter. You were just there. Yeah. So I actually have to give up my seat behind the board. Because yeah. they would normally, somebody from their organization would normally come to present and operate for them, right? right? Um, so you just kind of make sure that they were doing everything right, look over them. Sometimes they got to leave the studio because they knew what they were doing. So you might go and hang out in 9-5 with somebody else or by vibe or, you know, take long bathroom breaks because they, they knew what they were doing. But you were basically there representing the company as a supervisor, um, making sure that everything went well. And um, the funny thing about that, when I got that particular job, so I went and I was very close to my grandmother. I used to spend a lot of time with her like during like uh, vacations, um, July, August vacations, Christmas. And I went to her and I said, um, hey, Grandy, you know, um, I'm getting this job. I'm going to be on the radio. And she's like, yeah. So I was like, 
which I mean, yeah, she's like, I'm not surprised. And then she comes out with this box that's filled with these TDK cassettes. They're like 60 minutes and 90 minute cassettes, right? And these cassettes, and I kind of forgot about them, right? Well, when we came, we spent time with her. She had an, a tape deck and she used to encourage us to record ourselves on these cassettes. But the majority of the cassettes were filled with my voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was singing jingles. I had like made up commercials that I was performing, um, doing newscasts. And she was like, yes, she's like, in her mind, this was what you were born to do because you were always doing it. So this is like me, like from 10 years old, and she has all these cassettes with my voice on it and stuff. So it's like, um, I used to think that if somebody actually did see that potential and say, yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing. But I kind of found my path um, almost like secretly. Like I went and pursued it without any, you know, real encouragement, I say from anybody else. But I would say that my grandmother encouraged me because she kept, you know, had me recording all these cassettes and stuff. So that was a kind of like a surprise and a reveal thing to me that, you know, when you see a child with a skill, it's basically to nurture it. Granny's really no best, man. So your family had this background, had this business insurance that was going all across the Caribbean. And here you are venturing into your own media career. How did, I mean, aside from your granny, how did the rest of your family take that? My father was kind of like, does this thing make any money? That was his, <laughs> his main question. I was like, no, it doesn't. But, you know, I want to do it. So he's like, okay, cool. Oh, it doesn't make money. No. <laughs> <laughs> not really no not in like the, the real sense of the words I mean when I told him like how much I was getting he's like okay yeah this is but he didn't discourage me from doing it I guess if that line alone could have been a discouragement but I was like you know so behind this is what I want to do okay so um but he didn't like say yeah do it but he didn't say not do it he just brought up the line about it not being that well I was just always the kind of person I didn't feel like I needed like a cheerleading squad to do anything. So once I had set my mind to do it, I was doing it until something else really maybe put an obstacle in my way. Um, I guess he was supportive enough. He lent me the car to go to work. So I had the car, his car to go to work. So um, that, I guess, was silent support in itself. Uh, So I did that for a while. But I moved quickly. So mm-hmm. I was on Radio Trinidad and in about six months time, I was already trying to figure out how to go across to the studio next door, which was 95.1. I just want, I want to hear about your debut because I understand you had this big, remarkable debut. From what I'm hearing though, I didn't realize you, I mean, you're a real foundation like presenter and journalist because somebody who's on AM. I don't know how many people are wrong in Trinidad right now worked on AM radio. There's not that many who still are wrong. You know, AM was like, it was um, superior in itself because it was the band that if you were in Grenada, you could actually pick up Radio Trinidad. So it was able to cross like long distances. That was like what was special about the AM brand. The frequency was bigger and larger. So it could go over mountains and it could travel further. So because of that, it was going, you know, going further. It was popular. Radio Trinidad was a very popular station. It was um, branded inspirational, but it also had talk programs, like current affairs talk programs in the morning with Edison Carr. Um, Selma Ayi was our program director. You know those names? I recognize it from Samantha <laughs> saying it, but not. <laughs> well, all right, I am young. Uh, uh, and and AM, AM was also, to me, mm. like 
the like it almost felt as though AM was the real journalism and yeah. FM was the I just radio that just music as you know it didn't it, AM was like serious business. So, yeah, it was like textbook journalism. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the proper journalists, not not people who say poo poo and that. Oh god, don't do that. <laughs> Flush them down the toilet. It has this thing almost like what's equivalent to social media now. So when FM came out, it was the frequency where um, it was better for, for music than for voice. That was the thing. So AM was the master at, you know, broadcasting voice. So what happened was that all the more veteran presenters, some people might interpret it that they pat them away on the AM band. Um, so all those veteran presenters ended up on the AM band because everybody was excited about FM and FM were the music stations. Right. Um, they were the stations where the DJs were showing up. It was like a new type of radio, basically. Um, that's where, you know, the fun and the hype was. Right. So what happened was that, yeah, so they had the AM. That's why it was like easier for me to start working there. It's like nobody was rushing to be on Radio Trinidad, mm. basically. So that's where yeah. the, the opportunity came. So I was on Radio Trinidad for about six months. And then I started to think about, because I grew up listening to 95.1. What year are we talking? Probably 2001. Okay. And I, and, I, like and I almost went forward to 2006. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I thought it was over 20 years, you know, guys. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember she started this thing when she was 10 years old. Yes, of course. <laughs> right? Definitely. In the womb. Don't forget. In the womb. Right? <laughs> so I was like, you know, trying to figure out how do I get on 9.5? You know, this is the station I grew up listening to. This is where I really wanted to work on 9.5. And, um, I, you know, I befriended like, technical staff um you know I was really I, I you know I looked for support because I wanted to really learn what the business was so I was you know good with technical staff people in control and I was like how do I get on 95 and um somebody was like oh you're rushing it take your time take your time you can't reach there yet um I can't remember what happened I think there was an opportunity in the morning they had called it the morning zoo where they were looking for a co-host a, pre a female presenter because I was in, it was Richard Graham at the time. And because I was in the building, um, somehow I got to have the conversation and I expressed that I would have been interested. And I got there with a very, even smaller pay. Because <laughs> I really didn't want to pay anybody. But I somehow I negotiated to get to be there for an even smaller pay. And I did the entertainment news and I spent a couple hours with Richard and stuff. <laughs> I just laugh at that. That's not a good business decision, though. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have told your dad that, right? Because that dad negotiated to get less money. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be on FM, right? You could, you know, your radio picks up FM. It's gonna be easy to listen to me, right? You don't have to switch bands. And um, I was there with Richard Graham for a while. I think they took me back off, but I was still working Radio Trinidad. That was like, you know, what I was leading on because by this time, I'm doing enough shifts. I'm getting like. A consistent salary, <laughs> if that's what you want to call it, but some consistent pay. Mm -hmm. And while I'm doing that, I realize I need technical help as in support because I have no idea what to, how to grow this craft. So I have like a small voice. I don't know anything about my technique. Um, my uh, colleagues like Jim Sutherland are very theatrical. So when he speaks to me, I have no idea what he's telling me. 
and how he's directing me. I, I need somebody to translate this into English. So I enrolled in the Trinidad Theatre Workshop and they had an educational program that had started up where they form four and five literature books. They take them and they, they rewrite them into small like plays and our troupe will travel around the country to the schools and we would present their literature books on stage as characters for them. So because I did this, um, another thing with a very small pay or stipend, <laughs> um, I basically got free stage training as an actress. Okay. So they learned me how, taught me how to project my voice so that people in the back of Little Carib could hear me. Um, how to build confidence, how to um, to build characters, character training. Um, we did accents. I was never good at accents. So um, that was like some, I would say, some fantastic training, being in theater, being an actress, um, seeing parts of the country that I would have never seen because they packed us up in a maxi and carried us to wherever a school was that you didn't even know a school existed in Trinidad. So that was a very interesting experience, um, which I would be able to bring those skills back into the studio. So while I was, so then I'm there on 95, I'm still, I'm now part of the theater community. So I'm, I have a new network that I'm working with. So I'm doing plays alongside on the radio, which was great um, supplement for Brandon. Who are some of the people you might have done plays with that we would know that? Somebody well-known one. Well, Jason might know, but Kevin might be too young to know. <laughs> Nigel Scott. Uh, I worked Penelope Spencer. I worked with Raymond Chukong. Okay. I did two plays with Raymond Chukong. Um, UE's Creative Arts Theatre. Ifibu Wilkinson. Uh, we did Moon on a Rainbow Show. That was a fantastic experience. Uh, uh, gosh, there's so many people. Kevin, uh, you ever went to play in Trinidad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the oh. other day I went to a plane touch about here. I know you're trying to shine me up, you know, Clifford <laughs> <laughs> Lemond. Um so I was I was in that circle. I, I didn't act with uh Nikki Crosby, but because of theater, it's like we knew each other even before right. I got to the frequencies where she was working at. So I was like part of the community and um almost in another part of the network, um, basically. Um, so that was really good. Um I got like I had like a newspaper review and it was like, apparently it was terrible. I didn't realize it was terrible. I just thought it was great publicity. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the papers. It's like three <laughs> pictures of me. Okay, cool. Whatever, you know? And I was like, <laughs> Bad publicity, good publicity. <laughs> and, and that was actually a thing that I like teach. Or, and I think a lot of like people who are getting into media or getting into some sort of entertainment, they've learned that over the years. That you need to have like layers and be, um, you know, have, you know, multi skills and be in different places and not just doing one thing to build your brand. Yeah. So back then, that wasn't really a common thing, but I was doing it and it was just happening naturally. It wasn't like intentional, but it was happening naturally. And I was starting to see and make the connections and make the dots and seeing where it was working. Because I think doing the, being in theater and being on the air, that was something that helped propelled me past people who were on the air for years and yeah. were not going anywhere. They were in the same place. Because they weren't multidimensional, right? Then you know, at least with you, you're multidimensional. You there's so many different aspects of you that allows people to, to see, you know, you you'll appeal to a wider audience also being multidimensional. Yeah, she had to... that background that she lived in 
Barbados, St. Vincent, Grenada, and all that. So she yeah. knows how to but no, I live in make Grenada. relationships with, with different cultures and different types of people. Yeah, so it was it was it was good because um you know and then it allowed the people who needed to see you like your superiors and your bosses to notice you because somebody could would have been, been on the air probably working a shift every Saturday for about five years and nothing was happening to their career because that's all they did and they weren't stepping outside of that shift or being seen or weren't getting noticed so I would normally take every opportunity they did outside broadcasts I would go things that other presenters had found that they no longer needed to do because they had passed that stage. So I was like really eager and gung-ho to do a lot of the things. I picked up producing when I started on 9.5. So I produced for the morning show. I think that also added to my CV. And then I also produced for Vibe CT 105 and Sangeet all at the same time while being a presenter on 9.5 and then by Vibe CT 105. And um, it was then by Vibe, I think I got the, by then I had got like a TV stint or two by um, OCM. I did Soundstage. It was like a, a talent show and they did it in the amphitheater at the National Library. Um, they would have just done like a few episodes, like seasons. So I got one season to do as a co-host. And that's when apparently I got noticed by the program director at WeFM, which was 96.1 FM. And... I got a call about them being interested in hiring me. And I was like, yeah, this is so exciting. This is great. This is it because, you know, this is like 96 was number one. <laughs> it's like, and I had no idea even thinking about 96. And then it just went silent for like six months. I did nothing. I'm like, I'm waiting for this call. I, you know, when do I get to start? I want to be able to tell somebody something and I'm not hearing anything. And then six months later, then they call and they say like, okay, we're ready and we could start talking and whatever. Um, I spent like a year on 96.1. And same time I was there, I was kind of gung-ho to do some TV work. Um, so, well, sorry, before 96, I did um, a catcher. I don't know if you know about that. It was like a local candid camera that Jason, they aired you know on TTT. <laughs> uh, maybe vaguely. Yeah. Because I had reached, I had kind of reached a point that I was doing so much. I had done theater, I had done this stint by TV six, and I was just feeling like I was ready to do some TV as well. Because I was feeling a little one dimensional just being on the radio, and um, so I got this gig as a presenter for like a couple episodes of this local candid camera called a catcher that they showed on TTT. Um, as I don't look fantastic in it. It was kind of funny. You know, you have to go out and like do strange things, like do imaginary stuff. And yeah. is, it, is, it a, is it episodes on YouTube? We will look for it after. Thank goodness. I believe no, they have none. So I'm safe, right? Uh, so then I get to 96 and then Synergy is about, uh, you're hearing talk about Synergy TV is about to come on stream and I'm trying to figure out how do I get on Synergy TV. So I'm trying to make connections and calls. My boyfriend at the time, he knew Shellshock uh, very well, who worked with Marshall Montano. And I've called Shellshock twice. I'm like, Shellshock, can, can you get me a meeting with Peter C. Lewis? And he's like, yeah, you just go and talk to him yourself. I'm like, what? No hookup here. You don't help me out, guys. Nothing Whatever. Shell, okay. Yeah, nothing. So eventually I did get the bravery and I did go to the office and I met with Peter for the first time. And I asked, told him that I was interested in being on Synergy. And um, he was like, yeah, okay, cool. 
um, I imagine a lot of people were knocking on his door. So he was probably overwhelmed with the response. And then I got on 96. And after I got on 96, about a month later, Peter called. And he's like, you still want to come and work here? I'm like, yeah, that, that's a good idea. So I went and um, I was an entertainment news presenter. And I also like wrote the news and the news showed like every half an hour. So I had to record like a lot of them like in a day. So it was good practice. We didn't have prompters and stuff. It was like very makeshift because the mm. station was now building. Um, they didn't have a news department, so they didn't know what they needed at the time. And uh, I did that for about maybe close to a year. And then I resigned from the position. And soon after that, TV6 called. So it's just like, okay. I mean, I'm not even making the connection. I just had a, a colleague who was at 96. He used to tell me when he watched Synergy that he could see me working on CNN. And I would just laugh. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then it was so strange. So then OCM calls and asks me, thinking that they want to audition, do something for Soundstage again. Say, no, we want you to come and do an audition for the news. So I'm like, okay. I'm a little confused mm -hmm. because um, I had no interest in like presenting news. I wasn't mentally preparing for it. I was not actively preparing for it because I was an entertainment, right? On an urban station. And then of course I was by Synergy doing entertainment news. So this is like totally new. I started to overthink, oh my gosh, do I want this job? What do I do? Whatever, whatever. Um, I go to the audition and... Uh, it was one of the most comfortable experiences I've ever had doing broadcasting because they had a real prompter. They had the studio crew <laughs> directing you. They had lights that didn't take whole day to set up three lights. Lights were already prepared in the studio. It was just sit at this desk, read from that prompter. Here's your script. Let's go. And everything just worked like clockwork. And I just felt like at home. It you know it was just great. Now I felt like that. I don't know if that was the actual result. I left there feeling pretty good, and the next day I got a call from the head of news saying that they want me to come and present their seven o'clock news. So I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah. So I'm like, yes, like okay. That was like the next day. You know, I waited probably like thinking weeks before anybody calls, or maybe if anybody calls at that. Um. After a long back and forth, like a few months, because the offer was to start at seven, which is unprecedented at the time, because you normally, you do weekends first, you do some 12 o'clock newscasts, so you build yourself up, you get ready for seven. Nobody ever starts at seven, but they told me I would start at seven. Which prime was the first time. time. Prime time, which is the first time they were ever going to do anything like that. So is, it, is it that they wanted a fresh new face? Is it like why? And so at the time, because at the time, two um, CNC3 was in the works to launch at some point during that time. And some of TV6's um, veteran staff did cross over. Oh, so okay. um, part of it, they still had like a couple of their um, normal everyday presenters were still there, but they were introducing new faces. And I was going to be a new face. Right. basically um but the the trade-off was that I was going to have to like all the other presenters before me only work for OCM and only be 
the face of the newscast. So I was not going to be able to do anything else, which would mean giving up radio altogether. Yeah, which was in my mind, I was going to be doing radio until, you know, I croaked, right? Well, That's if they gonna... want that exclusivity, the salary have to be high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing. Exclusive salary. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how they had to be. Salary and benefits. Because they were not competing, okay? Oh, okay. Nice, guys. I should have spoken to you before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yes, because of some of those that those trade-offs, um, and because it wasn't anything that I was mentally prepping for, I took like a, about a two to three months before I even really responded to them. Or continue the conversation because it wasn't something I was like rushing into. I spoke about it with my family for a long time. Um, I thought about it. I don't even think I confided in anybody else in broadcasting, really. Everybody was external um, because of how people, the status people had for like the news, everybody thought it was a really good idea to do it. Little did I know, I accepted, little did I know that because the news is held in such high status, that the pressure would have been so intense. As in, this was somebody new that the public didn't know. It was like, I kind of became like, the like sorry to say, the public's punching bag in the beginning. It was all new to me. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I had a lot of things to learn, like with pronunciations. I didn't know the, the characters and the people that were being like um, identified in the news stories every day. So... And then the actual technical execution of the newscast is not smooth. So there are a lot of things that happen in the background. Like, you know, when you be like your hands up in the air and you want to scream, that happens like on a daily basis, probably every two to three minutes. <laughs> so I not knowing like that landscape like very well and doing it even even with all the rehearsals, you could do only when you sit there live because it is a live show. There's no delay. There's no pre-recording. Only when you sit there live, you have to learn to maneuver through that, including having to maneuver and learn different personalities like of your producers. Like some people, um, some producers hate when you go off script. Um, some don't mind. You could come up with your own questions in between. Other people, you know, it, it just just don't like it and it causes problems. So I had to I had to learn each person individually by working with them. If we were to put ourselves in that in that chair that you were in, where the light the light is on you, the, the camera is on you, you're you're about to do all of this. You're in the deep end. You're new to this. You don't you, like you said. You don't understand the characters and all these things. Like what are we seeing and how are we navigating all of this? We're seeing a disconnect in the earlys. I was disconnected. Um, I'm just like listening to instructions. I'm not connecting to the stories. So I am. that means I'm not connecting with my audience. Th there's an obvious disconnect because I'm trying to concentrate on just getting it right so that, you know, I don't get like a bad report when I walk up the set and people are not like frowning at me um, to get through the hour. Um, so in that case, I have to sacrifice the performance or the, the, the craft. Basically, I can't even concentrate on that yet. Um, I had, because it was so new and because it was had so much pressure, there was a time I was just going to quit. I like, I'm like dressing to go to work and like I have like a total mental breakdown and I'm crying my eyes out. I'm like, I don't want to go to the building. Please just don't make me go back. You know, basically saying I can't do this. It's, it's too hard. Um, um, but it was also, and I, 
for some reason, my superiors, and I mean my superior superior, like the um, like the head of OCM at the time who used to come to the office, he called me and like almost like he knew. And he had like a real heart-to-heart conversation with me. And he okay. was like, I see potential in you. I see the glassy look in your eyes. I think you could do really well. And that really even put on more pressure because now I felt like I don't want to let this person down. This person is seeing something that I'm not seeing, apparently. And I really, you know, I just felt like he just was so confident that I could do it, that I just put even maybe even more pressure on myself to do it. Because now I realized I wasn't just doing it for me and that there had other people who stuck their necks out to say, you know, we want to use her to present the news. So I, I now realized that I had other people that, that they were supporting me and I couldn't just let them down. So I really... Like, I, you know, and I kind of sucked it up and um, I said I was going to try harder. But in terms to do that, I isolated myself. So All right, let's say about I, that, that isolation well, thing. Yeah. That's so that isolation about. thing could translate into what content creators may go through now. So as in when they feel burnt out, um, like so how platforms kind of deal with like things like comments. So like YouTube, you could filter your comments because they actually said they did that because it was affecting the mental health of content creators. And I totally understood that back then because negative news, no matter how well you might be doing, travels faster than good news. Yeah, 100%. So you would get people call and say negative things when you come off the air. Somebody will give you a negative message about what their mother said that you did incorrect before they say you know you did a good job tonight but this happened everybody's a critic (laughs) basically and like it was like i learned it was like you know watching the news for mistakes was like a sport right (laughs) (laughs) and we we didn't have social media so that means you actually got calls and you got messages and sometimes you might have even got a letter every now and then if the person made the effort i always remember sometimes we had a non-local um, news anchor. I can't, I can't remember what station it was, but was an, this wasn't local. I think they were probably from the US or something. And you know, we have institutions in Trinidad that have acronyms, and some of the acronyms you you you, you say the letters, and some of them I pronounce it. For example, Wasa. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Wasa. T S T T. You know, that's that tist, right? Mm-hmm. But that person didn't know these things. Oh, no. mm. so, so, for example, what is WASA? They say W A S A. That's T S T T. They say, well, TIST. They <laughs> because they don't know. And when you think about that, you have to really be a local to know these things. And nobody, I doubt, when they when they have the teleprompter, or and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but when they have the teleprompter, they don't put W A S A and in brackets, I put W A H dash sa so you know to say that with no. a no you have to actually just know that right yes so, so you so have like, to be of the culture yeah so people will be like what should did he say where's wasa where's this no you know technically he wasn't wrong because you know he could still follow he might have been like technically right but you know but what i'm getting to you know the critics the people mm-hmm. those watching the news you know they're gonna like be calling and criticizing what this person saying. They're talking nonsense. They don't. They don't know what's up. Blah blah blah. So, so I can see where even worse yet, if you're a local and make any mistake, if you pronounce anybody's name a little wrong, 
and that sort of thing. And you know, in Trinidad, we have, I mean, so many different ancestries. You have people with French surname, Spanish surname, you know, Indian surname. So, so if you're not familiar with the culture, you could, yeah, people just chew you up. The thing people do is that people would, people would actually looking for the mistakes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. people will be operating at a high level, right? So Samantha would have been operating at a high level, speaking well, um, seeing the delivering the news, presenting the news in a in a good fashion. But they just looking for that one one mistake. I say, how do we get her? <laughs> you know, and then they'll then they'll harp on that. Yeah, it's real pressure. It's really mm-hmm. good that you didn't come up with the times of Instagram where people share any video. Look at this. Look, look, look at that. <laughs> oh, right, like that. Yeah, you know, probably what I got like, might have been a, a you know a little harsher. And um, yeah, so I had to like live through that and when I did that um because I had to learn certain things so like for instance when you're in the BBC newsroom they have um I can't remember but it's almost like a style guide so BBC comes now like the same things that you're saying if to pronounce the acronyms if to if to spell them out um they would have and even like you know some people say Sawa and San Juan Mm -hmm. so what the newsroom at BBC would do or any of those bigger newsrooms they have a style guide where they decide these things up front so when presenters and reporters come in, everybody knows this is how we say it here. This is how we have decided to say it. Unfortunately, we didn't have that. <laughs> so when I would ask a producer, you know, how do you want me to say this? Um, they, um, some of them might say, mm, I'm not too sure and kind of take it for granted. And then when I make like my decision and deliver it and I get the reaction, then I will figure out, okay, mm-hmm. this is not how I'm going to be saying this moving forward. So part of it is I had to internally come up with my own style guide. I learned to not depend on the producers or anything. We got some voice training and some pronunciation training about the, um, uh, I think it's the universal phonetic alphabet. I used that and I never took for granted. I was like constantly um, checking the dictionary for pronunciations. Um, and over the years, a lot of the words that we probably mispronounced um, incorrectly, I was saying it in the correct fashion, and I got a lot of like you know a lot of flack for that. But I stuck with it because I'm like, this is the standard I'm going with, and I'm going to keep it across the board because this is what I'm gonna, this is how I'm gonna have to perform at this level. I can't be doing the yo-yo, saying it one way and going back the next way. So I basically created my own standard of how I wanted to present myself and um, to speak in a universal make a universal decision about my delivery. Um, so I did that for a long time. So you maintain exclusivity with the um, with, with news or I mean so you had to give up your whole radio life? But so I did that for like three years and around the three year mark or a little before the three year mark, I had uh, grown kind of unhappy with just being on the air as a presenter. Right. Um, because I felt like I had lost my voice. Um, you know, as a presenter, you're unbiased, you're neutral, you're, there's no opinion, um, no real um, color to your to your personality, which was something I was trying to sprinkle into news. So like things like even like moving your hands on the set, um, moving your head a little bit was like that was a no-no. And I used to get a... I would never make it because I love to do it. Kevin, Kevin, we're doing nothing this podcast. Yeah, I like Yeah. So, you know, that was how I was, like, even like to do this. And yeah. they were like, why are you moving your hands? Or they, uh, when they realized I wouldn't stop, they started to cut the shot. 
like tighter it so they couldn't see it but it still helped because when you move your hands you move the, your shoulders the sensor, yeah? the yes. sensor, yeah. but when you move your hands you move your shoulders and your head a little bit and it gives a little a little um subconscious personality like coming through the lens sort of thing so I was doing little things like that like you know but I was getting so much um kind of pushback on it it was just feeling very restrictive and I basically said, you know what, I'm going to go just go back to radio. This TV thing was fun, but, you know, it's not like, you know, bringing this joy into my life. And when I did resign, um, OCM did ask me to stay on. This would be like 2009. Okay. Uh, probably. So like three, I thought in 2006, it was like 2009. Yeah. And they asked me to stay on. Um, they asked me um, what I wanted to renegotiate for um, our relationship. And I said, one of the things is that I want to be on the radio. Um, and they're like, okay, because at the time I was having, um, I had an option of getting back onto a radio station. So they're like, okay, we have a radio station. We can sort you out. <laughs> that, that actually never came up. But that actually never came up as part of the conversation for whatever strange reason. Um, I might have been willing to discuss that. And I just said, you know, if I'm staying, I want to be able to go back on the air and be a radio presenter as well. And they're like, okay, cool, 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 whatever. Because the station I was negotiating, going to start negotiating with, didn't exist yet. Um, so I think maybe they thought I was bluffing about going back on the radio and I didn't really have like a plan to go back. Um, so they agreed and they said, yeah, you can go back. Um, I think it's within the same year I went to the radio station and <laughs> then I got a call from TV6 and they're like, they called me to a meeting and they're like, um, so we see that you're working at this radio station. So I'm like, yeah, remember you all told me I could work at the radio station and they're like, oh, okay, cool. All right, cool. Let's keep going. Right. So it's like, so, you know, things like that. <laughs> that were happening. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, um, Star 947. Mm -hmm. um, I was really excited about being there. It was a new station with a Chinese laundry. Um, it was going to be pop rock, uh, which I really enjoyed because I like that type of music. And um, I, well, there I was Sammy Joe again on the radio uh... mid morning. And, uh, you know, he presented me as, you know, this is one of our most experienced presenters, um, announcers coming back. So basically, I was like there to help mentor anybody or whatever. I kind of, you know, like coming back at that level into radio. Um, the studio was beautiful, like top notch, beautiful digital board. We were the first um, um, RDS station I think it was where you know the names of the songs would come up on the screens and stuff uh, so it was like really exciting to be part of it and uh, yeah so I did that like for about five years you had two brands you had Samantha John on TV and Sammy Joe and I'm sure a lot of people were confused I know for for one, I was confused. I didn't realize it was the same person. I thought it was two different persons. I actually don't think they had that much confusion because people would see me out in news capacity, like, you right. know, in my jacket and stuff. And they would refer to me as Sammy Jules. So oh, wow. I, I didn't realize that, you know, maybe, maybe a few people were confused. But I think for the most part, a lot of people... Because it was different personalities, though. The, the, the news anchor personality was a very serious type of person and the Sammy Joe person was a sort of more fun, you know, kind of, you know, that sort of Was thing. I that serious? I was trying not to be as a news presenter. 
Well, they can move your hands. Whatever the news you're doing, that was fun. It was not entertainment news. Was I remember. News. I remember they tossed the sport was always fun. So you know, I was hope, hopefully you watched all the sports. If you watched all the sports, you would have seen that you know. I, I watched it so, so, minutes. You see, mm-hmm. you watch it more serious. Oh, news and then oh. we the murders, <laughs> the politics, and then we move on. Yes, oh my the headlines, and he gone. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah, it has a slightly different feel because you know you're you're vibing with music and yeah. you you know. Um, but I still had to keep um very mindful that I could not go back into radio exactly how I was. Um, or how a lot of the presenters are, where they're opinionated and stuff. Because one, I'm working now at two different companies, which yeah. could be according to business arrangements or maybe even things I say could become conflict of interest. And um, also I have to be mindful that, yes, when I do go back to the station in the evenings, that I am the news presenter. So I can't contradict myself or my brand um, by being like, you know, to con- I wouldn't be able to be controversial, so I did go back to radio teamed, yeah, right. With some, and I gave, and nobody had to tell me this, I just knew this is how it had to be to keep the balance and for to me to be able to maintain doing this for as long as possible. Um, I really enjoy listening to music, um, so I that's why I really it was like a stress release thing, so I think that also helped keep me on the news desk longer because I got to have that balance where you know I was doing this thing during the day that I really really enjoyed uh, for a long time. Uh, so I was at Star for like five years. I think I spent like uh, yeah around that time five more years by um by TV six. I got a short stint off, but around that time I had my Fun, so I was pregnant on the air. Um, it was not a very hmm, how do I say? It's not like how you know if somebody gets is pregnant on the air as a presenter, how it's kind of like used like social media. Um, it's embraced, like embraced like that. It was yeah. kind of like um because you know I was already breaking so much rules. You know the news was always so restricted. Um, how it was presented most of the time, it, we had male anchors locally. Mm-hmm. They hardly, whatever. They had very, like, just a couple of females in between, like Francesca, Shelly Das, uh, Akala, every now and then was mostly males. So when I did say I was pregnant and started to show, I, I was almost like, I felt like they didn't know what to do. Um, maybe they're thinking that maybe they should say something, maybe not. So it was never acknowledged on the air. But there was social media at the time, so I could have posted a picture, could have said something. So from that, people had figured out that I was pregnant on the air. Um, so I had my son, and then I felt like that I went back. Like, instead of taking three months maternity leave, I just kind of got bored being at home. And I went back, like, after two months. But when I went back, um, it didn't feel the same. And I felt, and my husband was having a hard time with the baby actually by himself in the evenings. Um, so I just felt like, you know, maybe it's hormones and stuff. It's just like, you know, I started to think about things differently. Being a TV6, maybe I need to do something different. I need to try something different. Um, so I basically got an offer and I resigned. And that offer kind of quickly turned into being at CNMG. Um there but they gave me um let me see they gave me more opportunity um monetary wise they also embraced um that I was still on the air as a radio presenter as well 
Um, so that was encouraged. Also, it had a little more of a relaxed atmosphere there for some for a particular reason. It was also kind of nice being there because it had a lot of young staff that really wanted, had this feel that they wanted to be working at a high standard. So when I came, it was like an encouragement that, oh, Samantha's here. Um, you know, the news is being uplifted. Let's do this together sort of thing. And I had that kind of embracing feel that, yeah, we are a team. Um, you all are supporting me. I'm supporting you. So that kind of gave a lot of excitement, like in the beginning, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, around that time, I did start to feel like it was too much. And I experimented. I left Star. Um only because I felt by the time I had my son, my brand had changed. So Star was like, you know, that young puppy feel. What year are we in at this time? I'm just trying to map out the timeline in my head. So this could be like 2014, 2015. Okay, so 2014. Maybe okay. sort of thing. Um, I had started like a blog. I was going to do a documentary about my pregnancy. So I have footage and stuff that I've never edited or anything like that. We have video of the birth. It was a water birth. And it was going to all centered around um, this. I saw that like an online radio station. Um, it was called Baby Babble. Uh, it had a website to supplement it with blogs. And I was using the online station that was like set up like on the lower level of my house. And I had like a couple of people who wanted to be radio presenters. So I was kind of training them on my online station. Okay. So I had built I had built the online station, like the back end of it and everything. And they would come on work shifts. Wow. basically and i listen to them and i kind of mentor them and you know say yeah yeah you so you made a business also so you started working on working radio then you decided hey, well, let me build my own radio station yeah because i i felt like i knew so much about radio like programming and everything music program programming and stuff i just felt like i wanted to do it um and i didn't feel like the industry was going to give me that opportunity so and then i saw i you know, I was like an online person. So I was seeing that you could start online radio stations, that software there to do it. I had a radio board and a computer because I used to give broadcasting classes, mm. um, physical classes and teach people on how to be on the air. So that's based on only technical courses you would have done from even before. So now they're starting to pay off. No, well, that course was, it was motivational. And any oh, technical stuff I nothing, learned was, okay. was actually in the studio. Okay. Um, so I bought like, the, you know, the radio, the gold standard for radio boards was the Arrakis. So in these stations, are the huge Arrakis boards. And then they started to make, because of online and podcasting was becoming popular, mm-hmm. they have smaller boards yes. that maybe just 16 channels, which is all you need. Because most times the radio station buys a board that has like 20 channels and they use three. Well, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those were on the market, so it made it easy. So I bought that board to teach people how to be broadcasters. So I had it like over the years. And then when I decided to do the online station, I just used it on my online radio station. So it was set up, yeah, just like any other professional studio. I had a professional mic and everything. Um, I programmed all the I think music. I think roadcaster mic. Yeah, wrote mic. They wrote, no, oh, no, no, that's not a radio mic. That's a shotgun. No, I, I, they yeah, shotgun. the shotgun. I thought I saw that. The shotgun. Videos, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. We have, like, the, you know, the other ones, that the big ones. That was something that kind of, like, amused me. And that's where I realized I could actually rebrand. Because for the first time, I would go out and people would not call me the girl from TV6. They actually started to refer to me as Baby Babu. And I was like, okay, that's really catchy. That's happening really fast. 
Um, that's kind of interesting that yeah. you know I I could you know rebrand because so I had left TV six. Yeah. yeah, I had left TV six, and people were still saying the girl from you're the girl from the news, right? You're the girl from the news. So that was my identity that you know everybody used for me. And then I did Baby Babble, and it became this is people would say, "How's Baby Babble?" And even up to now, people see me. So what happened to Baby Babble? You're still doing Baby Babble? So I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, we did it for a while. The online it evolved into a TV show. We decided that we wanted to do a TV show, and we did like about eight or nine episodes that aired on TV Six, and then after it aired on Flow regionally, like the season, the well, yeah, it will be the season after, but it will be, basically it was a rebroadcast of the first season. Um, it was really fun to do. It had, you know, it grew as a content creator. It checked a lot of the boxes of things that I wanted to achieve, like having a TV show, letting it air locally. Um, and also, you know, it quelled a lot of curiosities where like, you know, if you have a show on TV, does it work? Can you make a lot of money? And, you know, that journey in itself also helped me you know learn more about the business things that I was only wondering about that I could only you know guess about as a news anchor or a radio presenter I got answers for when I produced the show and I put it on air and I let it run and I talk to advertisers or I talk to sponsors or, you know, I try to make new connections to air the show. So it's like, you know, it was, that was a good journey in itself, basically. But I've said, been there, done that. <laughs> and then um, I hadn't gone through the journey of like how to keep creating content. And the content I was creating was very extensive. So if somebody had a, you know, an unusual preschool, we would actually go on location and shoot. And that could take all day. You know, and it was basically, you know, we're just, you know, um, some of the people that we and, you know, there were small businesses, too. So sometimes when we aired a particular episode or segment, let's say we did a school in South and um, because they were a small business, they may not last that long. So even though two months later, somebody was trying to contact them because they saw the video that um, it didn't exist anymore. So, you know, I, I saw like, you know, the longevity in producing those type of segments. I was wondering, you know, like how much longevity would it have, basically? And then I was kind of running out of like some content ideas and what um, content creators would describe now as burnout because, you know, it was a small team and I was doing the editing, the video editing. I was doing like a lot of the, doing functions. the editing. Yeah, I was doing the video editing Ooh, too. <laughs> So, yeah, you kind of got burned out. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no, the baby's getting bigger and I can't have another baby so I could figure out more so content the babble, to make. The babble, the babble. <laughs> <laughs> no more baby to babble. <laughs> no more baby to babble. Exactly. I'm like, hey, I'm making an next one just so I could get content. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, um, it depends. If it was a good business or not. If it's a good business, then... Oh, I, I, I would keep procreating. <laughs> right. Okay, I get it. Million dollar babies or not? This is babble season four. <laughs> Million dollar babies. Now, through this journey, because, you know, so making baby babble was like, passion like all passion go back to like you know if my father was still around he'll be like are you making money with this <laughs> um, and that's even like a conversation content creators have online it's like it's either it's a hobby or you learn to monetize it yeah yeah right and i can honestly say i had problems monetizing it so um you know you get older and you realize that you know 
how long can you keep a hobby chugging along for? Yeah. Basically. So during this time, um, there was like, you know, after TV6, around by Baby Babble, there was a time that I did make a lot of money, like the most money I had ever made in my career. Um, I was well paid at the time. This was when I was by CNMG. So, okay. right. And basically, I had no financial education. Mm-hmm. None was passed on to me. No financial literacy. Um, I didn't know what to do with the money. Um, shoes, shoes, trouble, yeah. Miami. No, no, I didn't even do those. I did the things that were people said expected you to do. Um, get a mortgage. Oh buy a new car, um, those sorts of things. And, you know, for my personal journey, it was, um, it didn't turn out to be the best decisions. Right. Um, there were, it was strenuous position, um, decisions. It put a strain on my marriage, you know, the bills, you know, people keep saying um, financial, um, financial problems are like the strain on most relationships. Yes. And I would say that, yes, I did experience that. So, it was almost like, you know, they say more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yes. kind of like, like we, like we experienced that. And then coming out of that journey and trying to like regain yourself, took on baby babble, um, let, and then we just said, you know what, forget about the money, forget about the money issues, forget all the mistakes that we made with the money. Let's just get back to passion. And that's what we did baby babble for. It was to get back to passion, to get that passion back for being in media, for being in broadcast, for being content creators. And, but through that, I never really caught myself or regained myself financially, Mm -hmm. um, basically. And then COVID came and that, you know, that amplified things. But the thing that got us through COVID was that we had some insurance policies that we were able to surrender that we didn't even remember we had or whatever. You just know you're in that time and you're back against the wall. You start, your brain just starts going, right? Yeah, what accounts? What accounts to have? Exactly. It's (laughs) like, (laughs) yes, like, what do I have? I can't even find the policy. Let me call the agent. Let me see if I can find out something or whatever. And it was those policies we were able to surrender that we for- totally forgot about that, that we that we got like in 2006 and 2007 because um, we had a recording studio business together mm-hmm. that um, we had started the policies since back then that were able to, to carry us through. And that's where I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm on this financial journey and we have these insurance policies. We could use them to help us. And that's what they're there for, because we have the options to like take a loan against it or withdraw the cash, like any policies and withdraw the cash. And together we decided to withdraw the cash so we could keep chugging along. And it was like seeing that and saying, oh my gosh, these products, this is exactly, this is so useful. Yet I didn't know I had it. And maybe if I knew I had it, when I was even making more money, I would have invested more into them. You'll put more money into your life insurance. Yeah. So that maybe I would have done even something different. I wouldn't have had to surrender the policies because, you know, I would mm-hmm. have had enough that I wouldn't, I could keep the policies going. Right. Um, so, you know, I was just like, you know, I was like, this is so useful. Why is nobody telling us about this? Why, you know, why do I have these policies? And, um, I'm not using them to like my advantage. So it was from these those experiences that I learned so much. I mean, I think even one was an annuity 
and it had to go to BIR. And I forgot that I had um, some outstanding taxes and that they had to take it back. I mean, this is even something that if you tell somebody about an annuity, make sure your taxes up to date. Right. right? So, um, you know, so that was all part of the journey of, you know, even becoming almost like being self-taught mm-hmm. of, of financial education. So during COVID was an interesting time. We released books on Amazon. We learned to use the platforms um uh what that were there for us we did coloring books and children's books because we were homeschooling our children before covid actually Mm -hmm. and when covid came around we were kind of stumped for education material and you created your own yes so we did like (laughs) 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 we did like handwriting books um like like, there are 100 pages in them and we did a coloring book that's 100 pages. And we it's a, a multi-mixed color, um, coloring book with the alphabet and shapes and um, different items. And it was so well received that it's actually a private preschool that saw the book. And the ladies, the principal said she was always looking for a book like this, like that had the mixture. Right. And they didn't have one that existed. So every time she buys, um, orders the books from us um, to use in the preschool. So... That was kind of like, you know, a good acknowledgement that, oh, okay, this is good. And we're doing this from practical experience because we're using this to teach our own kids, basically. So we created these books, I think like about six or seven of them. And we had them learned how to get your book up on Amazon, how to get paid for it. And um, you know how to do that in a half an hour. You know how to publish (laughs) a book on Amazon in half an hour? Yes, I can. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will, we will talk. We will talk soon. Yeah, we'll talk about this. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I put on my book, right. when I write to publish, because I was going to pay somebody else a lot of money. Oh, but even <laughs> so, before the so the publishing is half an hour, but then you have to create the manuscript. Yeah, no, so, no, no. I'll, I'll handle. So you have the manuscript, the manuscript already. Okay, no, I will. I will handle the manuscript already. Okay, okay. Because it will have to be a certain format and page. I have the format. I have the format to upload to Amazon, right? because you could be going back and forth for weeks and i have the format i just need to i need to put out the content and everything but um but yeah when i'm ready i'll check you and let me get that done in a half an hour well i'll pay for the half an hour because the price people want to charge me (laughs) (laughs) i wonder why (laughs) but uh, all right so yeah, I mean, thank you for that. It's like, you know, the, the thing about this interview like this, Jay, is like, we, we don't even have to ask many questions. She does, she does. She, <laughs> I know, she sorry. From did, okay, let me like, let me like. <laughs> she started from 2000 and she reached pandemic. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to speed it up, you know, I was trying to speed it up. No, no, but I like that. So, I mean, just before we move on from the media aspect of your, um, of your career, you know, noting that you got a couple of awards in 2017, 1007, and everything. I think you'll be the right person just to advise. Like, what if so, what if is an up and coming Samantha John or Sammy Joe or some, um, well, whatever the person wants to call themselves at a point in time? What if there's an up and coming young lady who wants to go through the media, that media space, wants to even build her own media business or so? Like, how would you advise that person? What's the first, first, Four things they need to do nowadays because you know it's changed a lot and i embrace it and i'm all for it it's that make sure they um you know you can be found on all the platforms yes all the social media platforms i'll say that first um i do know the media houses are personally checking platforms before they hire people they are checking your socials to right. see you know 
your numbers, how many followers you have, if you have a fan base already, you know, they're not going through the whole recruiting process, um, basically to build somebody up, right? They, They want somebody to come and be able to share some of their audience with them or bring some of their audience with them. That's like, that's like a main thing. Cause I've been on the side of, of searching for talent and recruiting. So I know that's what they're looking for. Um, they not necessarily anymore need you to come broadcast ready as in having broadcast experience because the skills are transferable. So um, my online videos are, I would say they're strong videos because of my broadcasting skills. I know a lot of thing about I know a lot about delivery, eye contact, you know, voice control, um, inflections, um, you know, just uh, communication via the camera lens. But it's transferable there. But for the people who are already on social media, they have they know those skills. They don't maybe don't have any formal training, but they do. They are already utilizing those skills, so that now becomes transferable to the radio stations. It's a TV station, if it's a radio station, and these days the radio stations are trying to be visual mm-hmm. with social media. So it's no longer that um these have a joke. Um, oh, you have a face for radio, which used to mean you have <laughs> okay. a face not to be seen, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have a nice voice. But now to be a radio presenter, you have to be nice enough to be seen. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, that's going to be a given. So there's no longer that line. Do you have a face for radio? It's, you know, it doesn't work like that anymore. So if you, if you already have those transferable skills to want to be in the traditional media, it's going to be a plus if you do take a short course or if you do take a course online, just to learn some basics. Mm-hmm. Um, besides just the skill part, I like people to learn and actually understand the business of any industry that they're getting into. You know, don't just focus on, oh, this is my job. I am the radio announcer and I don't need to figure out how anything else in here works. Uh, If you, you know, you isolate yourself, if you do that to yourself, you are really cutting your career like really, really short because this is, you know, it's, it's an ecosystem. The person that puts the ads on the computer is just as important as you. Ads pay the bills, they pay all the staff, uh, the person that cleans the studio is just as important as, uh, you know, the person that's pressing record or the person who's operating the camera. It's like it's always a team effort. And just thinking you only have to do your job and not understand or care about what the other person does or the person who comes after you or before you does. It's you, you're just you're not going to have a long career. Because mm-hmm. that is just going to, you know, it's just going to, you know, show you in a, like a selfish way and you're never going to learn. Um, and you need to learn the business. You have to learn the business to figure out how things work. And when you learn the business, you also learn the politics of the business. That is how, and the politics is important because that's how you have a, a long lasting career. Um, it's not, you know, it's just survival. It's anywhere you go. Um, everybody has a culture um, so everybody has operates in a different way so you need to be flexible in that way that you know you go 
to one media house. This is how they operate. This is the culture of this media house. You go somewhere else, they operate like this. And again, this will be you not isolating yourself. You coming out of your bubble. You, you know, mingling with your co-workers. Um, you learning about the culture, being involved with them. So I would say, and I think these are more humans, like, you know, human type skills that you have to bring into the workplace to, um, to do really well in this career. I don't know, do that's three or that's four? Or that's five? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's enough. I think you, 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 you really, I mean, hit it home. So anyone who is trying to get into the space, they understand, you know, the basics. And I think more than the basics, you know. So you were, you were saying that your policies helped you weather the storm, basically. Mm, yeah. Was that the reason why I decided to get into this industry? Um, because, I mean, the journalism, radio, TV, that's been your baby. That's been your first love since you're 10 years old or even before. Right. Why at, why at 25 you decide to not get into financial services? You know, I kind of did so much, and some people might have seen a short p- space of time. Mm. Uh, I was doing hosting stuff, I was doing uh, Listen, you from FM radio, yeah, 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 I just felt like I did everything. Um, I didn't know what else I could do again. Um, and as I said, you know, people like everybody knows you, but you don't know anybody. And as I say, you're, you know, you're always in a studio. Um, being a radio presenter is even not even more isolated. You're just in this room by yourself with your microphone and these padded walls, and you're talking to yourself for like three hours. This is like pure madness. And <laughs> It was, uh, you know, it it was like, I just, you know, I felt like I did it all. So, I mean, the last stint was talk radio. I never even thought I would have done talk radio. So I did talk radio. So I basically did everything. I did urban. I did rock. I did pop rock. I did um, religious. Um, I did talk radio. I did news. I did entertainment news. I did a magazine type show. It's like, you know, I basically like um, just felt that it was time to do something else. I started to do the books on the content creation online and it was like really enjoying that process, you know, going on a rabbit hole, figuring out how content creators think, learning about SEO, um, figuring out about Google, about the algorithms, because remember, I'm a technical person as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I want to know about that. I Even the business. you built your own websites already? Uh, yeah, I was always building websites from since like 2006. And you teach people how to code and stuff? Uh, no, I don't teach people how to code because they have all the platforms there. Right, but I but... would say this last website that I built, I decided, so this is like just like media. I decided to let people into my space, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the people that I let into my space was Karen Rose. Mm. and uh, you know it's like I would have never done that in the past I would never like reach out to somebody and say hey can you work with me you know I would just like stay in my my space and my bubble and just try to figure out everything by myself you know even if it took me too long or kept me up at night and I didn't have time for anything else I'll just get you know engrossed and overwhelmed with it and Karen was one of the I decided to change things and he was one of the people I decided that, you know what, this, he's going to be one of the first people that I'm going to like let into my circle. Okay. And, you know, 
kind of like cracked through this media shell that I had all the time of just doing everything solo. Um, that website that he helped me design was one that I was planning because during that stage, I was actually in the process of getting my insurance license. It takes a long, it takes a while. It took about seven months to go through the process. You have to do some training. You have to do some courses. You have to work with a manager. Um, so it's not very quick. You have to get vetted. Right. Um, and they <laughs> rang me through the ringer. Okay. <laughs> basically. I can imagine. Well imagine. So, yeah. So basically it was that um, uh, my, who is my now manager, recruited me, asked me if I would have been interested. And I was just like, why not? This kind of just is like the path that I'm on, uh, dealing with finances, wanting, because I've wanted to talk about financial freedom and teach people about their money for a long time. But why would they listen to me? Just like, just, you know, just like that, you know, I, you know, but I was like learning it for a long time. I didn't have a circle who, if I decided to start talking about that with them was interested in hearing what I was going to say. So I really did need to figure out where this audience would have been. So there was for a while I was trying to do it. So I had up to speed for a little while. That was like a news channel. And then I tried to switch it to like I did. I was doing Forex updates to kind of get like that whole money theme going there. But really and truly, I was like, I didn't really have any direction on exactly how to explain this and then when I got the insurance offer and when I started to prepare for getting my license on how I would present myself it's just like everything just fell into place I knew exactly what I wanted to say I knew what I wanted to talk about I mean I have like tons of ideas like scribbled all over the place half of them I'm not haven't even executed yet um, basically and it was so amazing because you know when you think about it it's like people was like what are you going to talk about insurance? It's going to be so boring. How long can you talk about this for? It's like, you know, you're going to like run out of ideas. And it's like, I haven't even reached close to that yet because I just feel like there's so much to be said. Um, when I do get people inquiring about some of the things I've discussed in my video, um, I feel really useful to them because they are really, really stumped something. And, they, and a couple of them have said that to me. I've spoken to agents before. And they've made me feel like I'm stupid because I asked, I was asking questions and I'm trying to figure out in my mind, why would somebody who is going to be spending their hard earned money get that inferior feeling at all to discuss how their money, where is their money going? How does it benefit them? You know, so it was like, it's been an interesting journey and I do feel very useful for that, um, useful to be doing it. Um, I had people asking, you know, why did you leave the media? What made you leave the media and do insurance? But the thing is, I think people haven't noticed is that I have been on a very long break, like about six years from away from media. Um, for a lot Technically, of people, like, I mean, you, you were doing that thing on 106.5, you were a content consultant. You're a content but, consultant for the radio but, station. I mean, that's me. But they're talking about TV. They're talking about TV well, and they're trying to mention television. it like it's yesterday. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, so I, you know, the confusion is like, um, yeah, but you know, I stopped doing this like seven years ago, you know, something like that. Yeah, but like you, that. Were, you were Trinidad sweetheart for, for years. That's what um the news anchors usually looked at, right? You know, especially yeah. as a woman, you looked at, you're the one bringing the news. You're the one, you know, I mean, a large cross-section of the the 
population locking into you at seven o'clock every yeah. day. You're, yeah. Yeah. Nobody but it's that. just but I just saying it's just that I'm on this journey a long time for people. They, they look like, you know, like I just sprung it on them. Like right. it's been all of a sudden. Yeah. But, you know, it's been like in a long time in the making, basically. And, you know, I was just saying it's now, you know, it's now brought itself into like, yeah, being an agent. And it's like, um, it's actually a very exciting process because it's the first time, like I have to do a lot of training, um, a lot of schooling. And there are like so many levels you could get to. And so much more work you could yeah. you could do with just what you decide you want to do when you start to do it. So it's, it's kind of interesting being challenged, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to so, do your FLMI and your LOMA and all that? Um, I haven't been presented with those just yet, but I guess at some point. I did FLMI and LOMA and all that. Oh, my gosh. And how does, it, how does it brain work? I'm trying to, like, moisten my brain so that I could absorb all oh, this information. Yeah, not too hard, man. I sure you get it. So, so, so what I'm seeing you doing though, you're actually taking a different approach to most insurance agents I've seen, where you're actually now using your media training and your media background to bring forth that insurance information. I think that is what, when Kevin was like, who's next? Well, I thought of you because I was seeing you so, you were, you were, you, you were so. I'm not visual as you were looking for you, but you would you, you sort of stood out. She was always top of mind, yes. Yeah, you you stood out what you were doing, and that's, that's this was different, you know. It's like, listen, our pod, the podcast is about value, and I mean you've you've built value, value and then destroyed it and built new value because you built value in your brand. You know, you were you you were Samantha John, that was a brand that everybody knew. Then you changed. Then you was you were Sammy Joe, that's another brand. That people knew Samantha best. So, you know, you keep, and now you're building value again. So, but I think, and I want to get your opinion, that using your media background, that you could actually now do so many things you love, but to, with a purpose. Because you were saying, like, well, I was doing some, some of these things online, and I didn't really have direction, but I feel now, like, you could actually now do that content, still do media, but in a way you like, and for a purpose in the sense of educating others and also in an income and building your, your new business, which has been an insurance agent. You know, is that is that sort of your thinking? Is that your intent? Actually, it wasn't my intent. It just happened naturally because those are my strongest skills. So it's like, okay, um, um, you know, obviously, yeah, it's sales you're doing, so you have to generate leads. So I was just like, gosh, I am not comfortable with the cold calling what can I do instead right you know because I'm like I mean I'm, I'm being honest it's like I just not come to I don't know how somebody will be like oh this is Samantha John they probably will think it's a joke right <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know who's this person who's this, who's this please, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like no because it's like that same thing I'm known if I do the calls they might it might work it may not work it may cause some confusion so I didn't want to jump at that one time but when you get your license, it's go. Right. So I had to figure out a go. And uh, um, I'm going to be honest, because my husband is my cameraman and my or my production studio and whatever. And he was just like bugging me for like about a month. He's like, when are you going to make a video? Yeah. And I'm like, um, I don't know. It's like, I, you know, I don't feel to like to make one. And he's like, no, yeah, I have to do it. And he kept bugging me and he kept bugging me and he kept bugging me. And just like one day I was like, you know what? Enough procrastinating just set up your lights and stuff and whatever and let's let's just make a video and 
you know, I did a video and the response was just, it was really, really good. And by this time, because I had done so much online content, I had already created a system for making content. So it's like, I don't have to make a video every day and burn out myself um, because, you know, I'm still learning the whole insurance process and making sure I learn about the products and attending all the classes and all the sessions. So to also be in production, it will just have to be something that can fit into the routine. Yeah. Um, but the journey of making online content, like during the pandemic, it's like I have no problem fitting it into the routine. So I make my long form content and I make um, shorter, I chop it up into smaller pieces. I have already, um, and maybe I post it on my website. So I have the whole ecosystem like built already. And it's just about producing the content. Sometimes I have planned stuff and then I just feel like, you know what? I feel like I want to talk about this because I think it will resonate a little more. And then maybe on the fly, I'll, I'll probably change something um, on the fly. But basically it's more planned out and it's all, yes, encompassed with production skills, um, the content um, consultation stuff that I did for Freedom and basically just making a system or a routine to get it done. And it just, you know, as you're saying, it's just was not intentional. It's just something that's been happening naturally. And a few people pointed it out to me um, when somebody like they were trying to encourage um, some other agents to make videos. And they said, yes, but Samantha's using a skill that she has so it's easy for her yeah. so you know um you don't necessarily want to distract somebody who will who's uncomfortable doing it um when they might actually be strong with you know being on the field and talking to people in person versus putting on their phone and uploading a video so um i think for everybody it might be a little bit different no not that you can't you, you should do everything as much as you can because you say it's be like it's like a hybrid system but yes, mainly it's because it's just like, you know, it's, I mean, as a skills of building for like 20 plus years. So as I said, they're transferable. All right, excellent. So yes, I definitely see, um, I mean, this strategy to me is a winning strategy. I think it's just a matter of time, but I think it's just a winning strategy because this is how people consume information, right? They consume information in in short form you know tiktok instagram what have you so you're able now to speak to so many people without having so you you don't have to go and take out the ad in the papers and pay six thousand dollars off full page and say um can I contact me samantha best for you you know you don't have to do those things so so it seems as though you have an i don't want to say an easy path but you you have some sort of competitive advantage to your colleagues. <laughs> yeah, because you she built so? her own platform. She built her own yeah, platform. Yeah, you do. That people I mean, already okay. go to. You might yeah. have some colleagues who might be active in football or active in some kind of so, some certain so, social circles. But I don't think they could have the kind of reach that you could have based on that ecosystem you've built, your knowledge, your experience. You know, I think, okay. no, nah, you, you have a winning formula. So, well, okay. I keep my fingers crossed. That yeah, yeah you, have that win, you have a winning formula. And the funny thing is, you might be you be able to reach out to persons not only in Trinidad, but there are people who live outside of Trinidad but have business in Trinidad. And if I'm not if I do live outside, of Trinidad, I was gonna say if yeah, waiting for I, your call, Jason. Huh? Talk. I'm waiting for your call so we can talk. <laughs> but if I live outside of Trinidad and I look, I'm looking for an agent, 
I'm not seeing The Express, The Guardian. I'm not listening to local radio. The only content I'm seeing from locally would be, I guess, what's on, what's on social media. And I think in the insurance agent's piece with regards to social media, I think you're dominating. Who, who else? No, who else? Think about it. Which other insurance agents actually? Yeah, do? I don't know. Because, I mean, all, all I see is like some people will add me on LinkedIn. And in the LinkedIn request, they'll be like, hey, what do you order? I'm a financial advisor. I just And I'll be like, oh, God, no, no, no. You know, because yeah. it's, it, it's almost equi- equivalent to a cold call. But what mm. Samantha is doing, she is doing what we call inbound marketing, right? So she's creating yeah. content. So you, when you're searching for a particular thing, you might okay if I'm searching for all right, what's the benefits of key man insurance because I have I'm, I might have a business and the and the brains behind the business might be a little older might be a, you know my health might be a challenge whatever it is so I might be looking at key, key man insurance if I google key man insurance in Trinidad and Samantha Samantha's six minutes six minute video pops up I say okay I want to I want to learn more and I click onto Samantha best.life slash contact and I and I book and I book an appointment with her but you know that's that's just me walking through a natural process in a very seamless manner that takes me less time than it takes Samantha to publish a book on Amazon, which is <laughs> half an hour, you know? So just making that make just making a customer journey easier and yep. less frustrating. And it's more like the customer coming to her rather yep. than she chasing down the customer. And you made a valid point. You're, you're actually making the customer journey. And that's what, that's what customers want, right? They want to be able to, Listen, I've I've seen I've I've gotten the information. The person who is passing the information to me, who I who who has that knowledge, well, I can reach them easily. Yeah, you know, it's it's easy. I could click on a button, book an appointment. Yeah, I think I think it's an excellent strategy and definitely using modern technology. And the reality is, what you're doing, Samantha, this is what the major organizations do. This is what the big businesses in the US, the Microsofts, the whoever. This is exactly what they do. They put out content, get people interested. That person will then go to the site. You know, they they get more information. They book a uh, appointment, and 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 that's it. So I think that you are actually um doing world class, best in class. You know, so it just it's just to keep doing it, just to keep. Doing oh, it. thank you very much. Well, I was thinking as the experts, you all could have you could have given me, and you know, if I have any gaps, I appreciate. Yeah, and we can look at it. But what you're doing too is not very typical in Trinidad because the, the, mm-hmm. in Trinidad, in acquiring services, sometimes sometimes it's friction. You want to spend your money, and it's a hassle sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you're trying to pay, but we don't take credit card, no, but we don't take debit card, no, the cashier, oh, the this, like I'm trying to give you money. Oh no, we don't deliver it. You have to come for it. Oh no, we only have a branch in Shogunas, Bam and Polispin. Well, you gotta come down Shogunas. We're on the main road. So so it's just like so much friction sometimes. And I think that is something that is so important. How do and, and all that is adding value to your business, right? How do I make reaching how do I bring awareness of my business of what I'm offering and make it easy for those wishing to acquire my services make it as easy and frictionless as, as possible for them so so yeah so 100%. so i know we're speaking about media but at the end of the day this podcast is about business and value right so yeah. well, well, I like more that, value, yeah. value of, of using media using, i know using yeah media kevin, properly. kevin yeah. just wants to lean on the media you know like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, you know like i know i like i like the slants i like the slants uh you know also what i really love about this conversation we had tonight is that you know, you start your family started off in insurance, and here we here we are, full circle. 
you're yeah. back in the insurance industry. You know, I think that's really awesome. Now, and I know we didn't... Agencies. You'll have your own agency soon. Yeah, just now. She's going to build that at the bottom of her house. All right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I know we didn't get a chance to um, talk much about your book, but I want to give you a little opportunity to, to plug your book. So, you have the balance block method. Again, it's a guide to improve time management and productivity. I want you to just tell us about the impetus be behind you writing that book. And perhaps maybe we could just discuss... Um, a few things on your balance success checklist that I'm also oh, um, yes. the principles so you, behind that book. You have the right. So I, I must the... have the things. Media, you know. Oh, <laughs> I, I, uh, try to see if the radio will want to hire me. I'll just put my hands down. <laughs> <laughs> so the book was actually, you know, something that was an idea, and that little note jotted down for a long time because remember, said we uploading onto um, Amazon and we were using pen names so I didn't use my name or anything so we have pen names for the children's books because I just didn't feel like um, I was brave enough to put myself out there as a you know an author an illustrator um, so I kind of kept that quiet so we were home in lockdown we were already homeschooling the kids before um, we've making content with the kids um you know, in a very stressful time and whatever came out. So, you know, we have little notes down about how to manage your time because we have like some family, they were also trying to make content and they kept coming to us and saying, you know what, if you offer a course on how you're consistently making content, even though the kids are home and you're working from home, um, that they would um, definitely sign up for that. So it was just like kind of like ideas maybe for the course and just making some points and, you know, I have the notes and stuff there. Um, the first journey with the the books that we did that were coloring books and handwriting books is um that journey to create the manuscripts to upload onto Amazon was very strenuous. It was almost like that burnt us out basically because I just went on the rabbit hole on my own trying to figure it out and sizing pages every day and going back and forth. Um, every Amazon say no, it's rejected, it's rejected, and then you have to go back again and wow. do it. And then I was like, you know what? If I just do a book with just words, this might be way easier than doing any images. So I was just like, okay, but I have a lot of ideas. Which idea would I use? Um, so I took a break because I went by Freedom 106.5 FM. That's a talk station as an announcer for like six or seven months. And around that six-month mark, they asked me to be a content consultant for the station, which was behind the scenes, coordinate all the interviews, um, work with the graphic staff, um, basically a lot of little teams I had mm -hmm. to coordinate with to get information, marketing information out there and um, book um, uh, book guests and stuff and get them into the station for things to be executed. Use some of my TV skills with that to create things like rundowns on the back end for the presenters and for interviewees. And it was overwhelming. <laughs> it was like, because I'm, like I'm homeschooling, um, I'm working remotely, so I'm doing this from home. And it was extremely overwhelming. It was like, um, it, and to do it, I also felt like I needed to train some of my colleagues in how to manage their time. Because where I was trying to contain my work, which I think was only fair, between the hours of eight to four, Monday to Friday, um, people were working like around the clock. So you'll get WhatsApp messages nine o'clock in the night. 
um, on the weekends, and I still need time for my family. So this is where I believe in the balance. Mm -hmm. I believe in the balance. And I, I try to make um, stress to a couple of them that, you know, the only reason you're working on the weekend is because we're disorganized. And that if we were more organized during the week, we could get more done. And it would not cross over into our private lives. Um, and I really try to stress um, that, you know, I believe in the balance. I need time with my family. I'm homeschooling my kids and I'm doing the work. And that the actual, um, I, was, I was actually getting a little stressed because, you know, every time the phone ding, you know, it's a message about work, no matter day or time. I actually had to do where I stop looking at my phone, um, get separate numbers, put a phone in the drawer, like, when you know I needed just like just a reset because it's silence yeah. the notifications too. <laughs> but then I couldn't even look at my own social media because other stuff were popping up, right? So <laughs> so you know that and I started saying, you know what, let me let me finish this book because the book is actually the method that I use like to organize myself because I was always told with the functions that I was doing as a content consultant by um, one of my superiors that I was like the most organized person she's ever met. And it was basically because I have a method and the method is basically where I kind of block task together. That's why it's a balance block. Mm -hmm. So I block task like maybe 20 minutes and then we take, and then I take like a five minute break. Um, basically, and I kind of do that with all the tasks that I want to perform, like throughout the day. Is there but a Spanish also... word for that, like Pomodoro or something like that? But the Pomodoro is it's similar, but it's different because okay. um, they either I think they increase the time and they increase the breaks, and then okay. they also do it like a task or a task from prioritization to um, to their tasks. So theirs is a little more complicated, and I just wanted mine to be like really simple, where I just did. 20 minutes or 15 minutes because it's basically what I explain is that it's totally up to you how long you want that working block to be right um like some people would do like prefer 15 I found like when I do 30 minutes um it feels a little too strenuous mm -hmm. so I might do 20 minutes for the most okay. and then I would and then I restrict it to a five minute break but I mean my my um, thoughts about it is that it's more flexible. So it's however you feel. So they work on and you take the break. And you just do that like within the hours that you really want to function, basically. But it's also built on the fact that I totally believe in living a balanced life. That you need to take breaks. And when I mean breaks, not like a five-minute break. Spend some time with your family. Close your laptop and go outside and take a walk. Um, have a beach day if you need to, even if it has to be during the week, just to break the routine. Um, make sure that, you know, you, you eat well, you exercise, you rest well. And that's like, that's where the whole balance block method comes from. That it's a, you know, a holistic approach to managing your time. Samantha, I looked at the checklist, right? Um, eating five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I mean, Kevin, I know about you. That song, and like, I'd, I have to be vegan or, or, or vegetarian to be able to, no, to achieve that. I eat so much vegetables. Kevin, you? Well, no, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, the burger will come with some lettuce. <laughs> uh, 
Yes. <laughs> you know, the um the when when they go to buy grill for you and you order some let me just say when they go by the fast food place and you order some some fries and some chicken in my pearl green salad. I remember fries and potatoes, right? And yeah, fries right. and potatoes, those are from the earth, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I'll, I'll have that. I created that checklist and I can't even remember what's on it, right? Yeah, I have it right here. Oh, did you try it out? Did you try it? How many did you check off? Uh, okay, exercise for at least 30 minutes every day. Uh, oh, my exercise maybe three to four times a week, but for longer than 30 minutes. Eight glasses of water. I mean, it varies. Yeah. Yes, Five servings of fruits and veg, no. But, um, you know, but I mean, again, I, I, intimate, I do intermittent fasting sometimes. Oh, Meditate. I do that as well. Right. So exactly. Right. So meditate for 10 minutes every day. Sometimes I just be in silence for 10 minutes, just laying down. Um, <laughs> write down three things you're grateful for every day. Mm, you I can can't do think of that. three things? Come on. No, I could, I could think of three, oh, three things. Okay, okay. I say that I actively write it down every day. Not necessarily. Read for 30 minutes every day. Easy. Um, nice. Yeah. Even if I don't want to, I, I'm always, because I'm always working, right? I'm always working. I'm always researching things. So yeah, I read for 30 minutes every day. Unless you mean like le like leisure reading, like, I don't like no, a novel. I, anything, anything. I would okay, say, you know, right. education, entertainment, what, you know. Okay. Well, it's not like I have to read a novel, just put on everything else and read a novel or create a budget and stick to it. Um, I need to do better with that. Save at least 20% of your income every month. Well, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Right, so mm -hmm. we have, so if if I am to get income every month, that's that. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to get to I'm trying to get to that position where every month income comes in, you know. So when I do get income, you know, well, we'll see how long we we'll make that last. We'll we'll do what we have to do with that. <laughs> Invest in a retirement account. I think that's a lot of excuses for every every point on the checklist. Being real, right? Invest in a retirement account or mutual fund. And oh, oh, by the way, audience. We will have a link to this band success checklist in his show notes so you guys could download for yourselves and take a look. All right. So invest in retirement accounts and mutual fund, yes. Um, so now career. Set achievable career goals, yes. Attend networking events, yes. Learn a new skill every month. Mm, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Relationships. Spend quality time with loved ones every week. Um, I could do better with this. Express appreciation to someone you care about every day. Yeah. Yeah. Practice active listening in all the interactions. Yeah, I mean, I do podcasting and all these things. Um, peace of mind. Review your insurance coverage annually. <laughs> <laughs> you should annually, yes. Compare <laughs> prices and coverage options for insurance policies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually in the process of doing that. Anyway, um, <laughs> meet with an insurance agent to discuss your needs and options. Well, I'm going to do that soon because I'm switching my insurance coverage well, so yes well, Kevin, be, that uh -huh. where it says insurance agent that's a clickable link yeah, it's a clickable link for samantha yes. best of life i'm sure <laughs> so, I'm sure. so it's very easy to be to the insurance agent oh is it a clickable link i'm checking I yeah yes, it is. oh it is. fantastic i'm doing that's very that's very efficient yes <laughs> samantha best dot life slash insurance hyphen agent mm. yes boom so that's what we said, Samantha. You make it frictionless to be able to speak to someone. So I oh. go through this this checklist, and I want more information. Boom! I just click a link. I don't have to stress. I, I get sent straight to the page. Excellent. Oh, nice. Oh, guys, I set that up so long ago. Um, I I don't even remember. And that's you know that's I mean? value. You're creating value, and it's evergreen. So something, and that's it. And 
with your content, that's what you're doing, right? Because a lot of the content videos you're making now, five years from now, people will be contacting you. Hey, Samantha. Um, and then you would say, well, okay, speak to my assistant because I'm really busy, right? I don't know. Yes. Let me say five years from now, I'll check you back and we'll <laughs> see. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Um, Samantha, this has been fantastic. You know, really enjoyed listening to your story, listening to your journey and taking up taking up all the lessons and gems along the way. Um, is there anything that we have not covered that you would want to ensure that you leave our audience with? Mm. Um, I feel like we've covered everything, but um, I would like to say to the audience that if you feel you're ready to take a financial freedom journey, you definitely want to get in contact with me. There's no obligation to buy. So I could just have a discussion with you and answer your questions. And if I don't have the answer, I will definitely search for it. And, and where can the or, or audience find you? Where can they reach you? How can they reach you? They can find me on all the platforms and my website, samanthabest.life. Uh, Jason, where can we find you? You can find me so many places. Jason Paul Valley, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Just look for me. And if you have any questions about your business, you just want someone to bounce ideas off of, I, I'm always interested and keen about speaking on businesses. You know, you learn so much when you speak to, to, to each, everybody, everyone in, in business, you know, you just learn so much. So I, I'm always open to learning by having conversations. Podcast World, there you have it. The Media Way with Samantha Fest. Subscribe to The Value at thevalue.show slash subscribe. Leave us a voice note to be played on the next episode. Leave us a five-star review. And check us out on your podcast player of choice, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And with that, Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are out.